Right, oh. It's the chaos. Right. <laughs> Are we rolling already? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Yeah. So. Welcome. Welcome. I mean. No. Thank you. I didn't ask you anything before. I think semi-deliberately. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. First of all, um, I don't know anything about you, which is normally very exciting. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean? Um, but since your connection of Jamila, just from that night, right? You were playing yeah, the back-to-back yeah. at Refuge and you guys just Please. met. And- yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I was playing um, for this B2B day that they had programmed on Friday. Mm-hmm. And um, Richard had asked me if there was anyone in particular that I wanted to play with. And um, pretty quickly, I thought of um, playing with Ophélie just because... We had like had a few interactions before, but never really anything substantial. Like we haven't really like chilled that much. Um, but I've listened to her mixes, and I think she's got fire taste. And um, something about like the amount of interaction that we did have gave me the impression that we would be quite comfortable with one another. Okay, and. Um, yeah, I mean, we had a ball. But yeah. Jamila came in to the to the booth for a second. Mm. And um, at first was like, where's the brakes? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't hear any brakes. We were like in the like introductory kind of like ambient phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to, 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 to. Um, Girl, right. we have two hours to film. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I guess you asked Ophelie if, if she was available, but she yeah. was going to the UK to play a gig, so... Then you, yeah, you just turned to me and asked. And generally, like, I think because Refuge is, um, it's a kind of hub that I think really keeps, like, music in the fore. Like, I think that never really, um, I don't sense that that really ever strays from being, like, the kind of central, like, axis across which everyone's running like mm-hmm. i trust yeah. that kind of invitation yeah. a lot you yeah. know so so how did so you it was very blindly i mean the funny <laughs> thing is like so celia and i went to refuge because we were kind of we were at celia's apartment and we were listening to you know uk type stuff and i was like oh Philly's playing at refuge let's go and have a little dance in the booth with her got to refuge and there was ambient playing and we were hyped up like ready to have a little dance and i was like ophili what's happening i came here to dance you know what i mean and um they were like yeah we're now getting started but then i met nat as well and i was like we were just outside listening to them play and i was like oh i like i like her vibe as well and just from the little two second interaction we had i was like great voice great personality i'm sure it'd be good fit on the podcast Mm, yeah yeah yeah. i think that um, yeah, I think, and I love that you blindly accepted. Like, no idea who I was, no idea what the podcast was about. Yeah. She was just like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm with her." Yeah, mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I feel like Ophelia like really knows how to um, play. Like, it, it, like as a as a DJ who you know she's playing like, um, yeah, a lot of good gigs. I feel like when you do radio gigs, sometimes it's nicer to take it slow because you get to play yeah. other stuff that you couldn't play when the hype is behind you in the club, you know, and people are expecting yeah. to to dance. I always feel like, I mean, that's a way scarier decision than it sounds like, you know, but when you're put in front of a crowd of people and you can feel that they're just like, make us dance now, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah, it's you know a different I mean? it's a different context, I yeah. think, for yeah. sure. It was also just super interesting. I mean, it's so nice to play back-to-back with people because um, you kind of get acquainted just with all the different ways that people mix you know like I was really I was really into the fact that Ophelie like 
would do like quite long blends with like a drum and bass or jungle mm -hmm. track, which like I find quite difficult because they're so kind of subdivided and they mm -hmm. can kind of switch from section to mm -hmm. section. And so, there's so much happening. Yeah. And so, so many like different kind of percussive like parts to work yeah. with that um, I will usually just like mix something in and then just like chop one thing out of the mix mm -hmm. really quickly. But Ophelia would really let things run yeah. and like... Mm -hmm run into also like kind of like muddy like polyrhythmic places that mm -hmm. also were super enjoyable yeah. you know so it takes guts i think also yeah. to to mix in that way and it's just like it's always a pleasure it to works, yeah. to 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 play around with someone like that yeah i also feel like with those super long blends sometimes it feels really chaotic when you're mixing it And then afterwards, you listen to the recording and you're like, oh, this bang. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's really like the rodeo, though. Yeah. Like in the moment, you're really just like riding it. Yeah. And you're kind of like, oh, fuck. Mm. Yeah. I mean, with house, I play a lot of house, too. And with house, like, I, I really love a long blend. Mm. Like, I, I really like to really, really slowly kind of like massage things into mm. one another. But... Um, it's like a whole different, it's yeah. a whole different ball game with drum and bass. Yeah, I feel like you do that a lot too when you when you're playing house. Yeah, well, I think I do that period. Yeah. I just really enjoy long blends. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. the alchemy. Yeah. Like that's yeah. what I find exciting. Somebody um, Courtney on the on the podcast said she was like, it's really amazing when you make two songs make out. Exactly. And they like make out for a long time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. That's the best. I think that's the high that I'm constantly chasing yeah. for DJ. <laughs> like, hanging out for I mean, a long time. I just have <laughs> two songs playing for like yeah. forever. Yeah, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? To the point where you start to question like what belongs But, to yeah, which song. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the best when you listen to mix, at least for me when I listen to mixes. And it's such a good mix and you're just like, oh my God, I don't even know what is for what yeah. song anymore. And then like you hear the transition finally takes place fully and you're like, oh my God, I would have never guessed that that was like a song on its own because yeah. it was so like tied yeah. well with the other one but i yeah. think that's also like that's some of the power of um of the practice of like mixing mm. tracks too like it kind of i think a good dj can really let you like defamiliarize or like derealize like f yourself from a track that you thought that you knew mm -hmm. you yeah. know like yeah. really good djs have played out tracks that I've been so familiar with, I've listened to like hundreds of times and they will sound suddenly so alien. Mm. Yeah. And Context like... matters. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's so powerful. Yeah. I enjoy that yeah. so much. Because there's so much I hear in, when I listen to mixes, there's so many songs I hear and I was like, this is such a good song. But then when I, I like look to find it um, to get it for myself, I'm like, yeah, this is not that... Um, Mm -hmm. impressive on its yeah. own you know and you realize that the the mix that you heard it in really like sold the whole mm -hmm. thing to you you know mm -hmm. what i mean yeah. and then yeah i don't want to say like it's disappointing because I, i feel like it is disappointing when you hear and you're like oh the song is so good and then you go to get for yourself and then it's like by itself it just can't it feels mm -hmm. kind of meh you know so there is some disappointment but then when you think about it, you're like wow i mean this dj chose to play this track in this moment and made it like work like really well mm -hmm. and then it's like oh shit i wonder if i like i should be doing that with like <laughs> with like other songs that i don't like you know it's about you, <laughs> you know? i'm like yeah, yeah maybe maybe i could be doing that maybe i should yeah. be doing that you know what i mean because i throw so many songs away but context yeah. matters we talk about this a lot mm. um my friends and i when we nerd out because we're like you hear a song like you know a song and then you hear it in a mix and you're like this is a whole other song mm -hmm. You know, mm. and it gives you a way to use all the songs. Like I have a whole bunch of tracks where I don't really like. I've paid for them, so I kind of have to keep them. But I don't love them by themselves. And now you're kind of like, oh, it gives you a new way to 
to make use of all the tracks that otherwise would just kind of stay in the archives. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So, since we do know nothing about you, <laughs> maybe you could uh, give us a little context. But you said you had a ton of, of questions for us, <laughs> you know? So, you could ask some questions. Yeah. Um, so, you said you, you're from New York, right? Yeah, I'm, I was born and raised in New York City. And um, I ended up in Berlin because I came here to study for a semester when I was in university. And um, How long ago was this? That was in 2014. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, it really, it really turned me out, the city. Mm. Like, <laughs> I was really, I was really enchanted, I think, by a number of things. But it was a very formative, like, six months that I was here, actually. Um, definitely, like, the, the exposure to the clubs and like the dance floor here was very important i mean we were talking outside in the balcony for a moment and i was saying that you know like jungle was the first kind of dance music that i started listening to and i really had no kind of context again context to mm -hmm. to place it in i didn't know kind of what it was coming from or where it was being played or whatever but there was something about whatever kind of imaginary space i could compose in which like this music would be playing That was really enchanting. And I mean, also growing up in New York, like I think I came to think of clubs as these like weird kind of like bottle service elite yeah, yeah. kind of spaces. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then a few years later, you know, I started listening to House and like that was a kind of a whole other relationship to build and a whole other kind of imaginary context. But it wasn't really until I came here that I actually started going to clubs and... Um, Yeah, I mean, just having experiences, like, on totally losing my mind, like, dancing. Mm -hmm. And it was also during this time that I started to collaborate with um, a very close friend of mine um, named Zoe Darcy. And we both studied poetry. And um, we had a lot to commiserate, like, about in terms of the kind of institutionalization of, like, of... Um, creative writing as like a kind of academic subject in the U.S. and so kind of by extension just the act of writing um, and we um, we spoke a lot about poetry we wrote a lot together in, in that time and it was kind of also the foundation of um, a publishing project that we both like co-direct and co-edit um, to this day which is called Tabloid Press and so Like the seeds that were, the seeds that were laid, like when I first came here, I think still kind of like carry me to where I am now. I mean, I moved back like two years later and, um, yeah. So at the moment it's, and kind of as it's always been, it's really a lot of juggling, a lot of different kinds of activities. And I put myself in a lot of different kinds of roles. I mean, we still do uh, tabloid with Zoe and, That has also kind of expanded from just being um, like an outlet for our own work into like also acting as a kind of service for publishing other people's work, for doing kind of writing workshops. Um, and then I think it expanded even more so like in the past years because I started um, like screen printing and making clothes and kind of printing texts on clothes And also starting to do this kind of residency at Refuge, 
Um, and all of this was based out of Berlin or New York? Because you said you moved back two years later. After yeah, yeah. It's pretty much all coming out of Berlin. Like I haven't, I haven't lived in New York kind of as my own adult self. Yeah. Um, but when you said you moved back to Berlin two years ago, you were... No, no, I moved back two years later. So I moved okay. back like seven years ago. Okay. Mm. Oh, okay. So you've been in Berlin now five years? No, no, like uh, since 2016. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So 2016, then you moved back to New York and then back to Berlin. I I, I finished my six months here in 2014, moved, okay. went back to finish uh, school, okay, and I then I came, yeah, 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 and then I lived in Chicago for a second, and then I came okay. here. Yeah, sorry, it's a bit confusing. Nice. Um, but, uh, so there's the, the publishing work, and I mean, we're still putting out books, which is nice. Um, I mean, kind of the most recent... Um, book that we published that was kind of under my auspices was like a, a long form interview that I did with Lakuti and Tamasumo back in 2020 and um, that's also why I think I was so blindly just down to do mm -hmm. this conversation because I think there's so much value in, in recording and documenting yeah. like dialogue um, of course yeah so um, there's that then also you know DJing um so where did DJing come into play there, if you're as a writer? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean... I feel like, before you answer, <laughs> mm -mm, okay. I feel tell like... Me. <laughs> let me tell you why you became a DJ right now. No, I feel like anyone that um, that comes to Berlin and what you said about, like, yeah, your idea of clubbing was, yeah, pretty much the same because we are uh, in Trinidad also pretty influenced by the States. You know, New York being a big cultural center for mainstream and what's cool and what's yeah in right now so pretty much our perception of clubs um at least that like kind of space was yeah the same way you know like bottle service you know not too much bottle service but like that same concept right mm -hmm. very like elitist and high heel shoes and short skirts yeah and 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 very yeah american you mm -hmm. know what i mean and coming to coming to Berlin and, and ex, ex, experiencing like a club in a completely different context. I mean, I started raving a long time before I came to Berlin. So it was not, you know, but that, that for me personally, but, but that shift of, is of course quite powerful, you know, especially if you're from any ostracized background, uh, you know, any marginalized community, finding that rave space is just, yeah, it's such a, it's, I mean, it sounds cheesy, but it is such a safe space. Or it is such a good mm -hmm. space. It's welcoming. I mean? And I feel like anybody who comes to Berlin, which which is like such a, like the Mecca for that kind of um, experience, it does touch you, you know what I mean? And then of course, like, yeah, you're enamored by the music and, and the DJs and the culture within that. So um, I'm not saying that's why you became a DJ, <laughs> but I'm just saying that I am... Um, you can I relate. Think I I, th I feel like coming to Berlin, it is a very powerful experience, and a lot of people want to become DJs. A lot of people want to become or, or want to experiment. You know, if you are an artist in one sense, of course, like music tends to be a big part of your life anyway. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? For anybody, artist or not, and I think as an artist who usually um, takes pride in expression, then anything that you love or feel close to, you then immediately become you know expressive in 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 and you want to become expressive in that domain 
you know what I mean? Yeah, I feel so. like you just use it as another tool to, to mm-hmm. express what, because creativity is something that, like, you just have a method, right? And the medium isn't really, isn't really, I mean, it's important for the message, but it isn't key. So as a creative, you probably just like to find different tools. They're various to tools. You, yeah, yeah, exactly. Express the same or different messages in different ways. Absolutely. Yeah. But were you raving in Trinidad? Yeah, I mean, for me personally, it was... Um, I fell in love with this music. I fell in love with... with um, I mean, I was listening to electronic music for a very long time um, in the context of home, which is just in my own context of mm-hmm. drives or, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and then when I was around... Uh, and I told myself to DJ completely irrespective of that fact. Um, and... Uh, so I had all these, I was always the DJ, whether I realized it or not, you know, and then electronic music was just another facet of that library that I had. And then I think in a couple of dated, when I was 19 or 18, I think I really fell in love with it. I was like, holy shit, this is really something I want to do, as mm-hmm. in like be a, be a DJ, you know, create experiences for crowds of people. I really find that collective energy like really powerful. And, uh, but there were no raves, there were no raves in Trinidad. So if, uh, basically we found, I... Yeah, there was no, like, just, there's no electronic music yeah, there back was, in the day. Yeah. It was soca, it was dancehall, it was reggae, it was hip-hop. There was Some this of, like, one the American club. stuff, but no, yeah. no techno, no house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can... If, ED, when EDM became a thing, it was, like, Calvin Harris. Okay, yeah. Martin Before Garrett. that, we had Zen, which is this big club, um, and they were doing a lot of things that, um, besides uh, throwing parties, which enabled them to um, bring down some huge acts. So they had, like, huge names like Paul Van Dyke and, like, like massive names that are, like, um, Armin Van Buren and shit yeah, played. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Just kind of bringing down these guys during those mid-2000s, you know what I mean? Um, but that was kind of all tied to this huge club. And once that club um, fell apart or whatever they were, they were doing wasn't working anymore. Um, that kind of collapsed and then there was nothing, you know <laughs> what I mean? So then, um, in the context of my life, wanting to be a DJ was kind of impossible pushing this, you know, space that doesn't exist. So then, well, you know, I started throwing parties and so I was, yeah, the internet is a very powerful thing, you know what I mean? So you can, I learned about everything from the internet, you know? And basically just started throwing, um, yeah, raves at home. We found this uh, small club. They were like a, a, a queer space. And uh, in the Caribbean, that is a, a, that's a big deal. Um, there's not much, yeah, that, that's a big deal. <laughs> so the club wasn't, um, wasn't doing very well. So they were very happy to do an event. I mean, they themselves, they were queer. And the house music is also very tied to that scene, you know what I mean? And they were like... Um, they were like, yeah, of course, I could come do an event here. And then it basically it kind of picked that club up. You know, it, it yes, and it was kind of like a match made um, in heaven because we, we needed a space that wasn't too mainstream because we needed, because we wanted to bring people that were in the mainstream crowd. And, and, and that was kind of the perfect space for that. And they just needed business, you know, so mm-hmm. it was great. And then so I started through my own raves. So there was no, um, yeah, I started through my own ways and I didn't do anything else until I moved to Berlin three years ago. But mm-hmm. by that time, I was so engrossed in the scene. Nothing was a, um, yeah, never once did I feel out of place. I feel like I kind of knew what I wanted to do and kind of knew how I wanted to feel. And when I came to Berlin, I was like, yeah, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be like and, mm-hmm. and more. 
and uh time to <laughs> time to hustle you know yeah exactly mean? well i think yeah i mean to go back to the question like yeah. i think it's a powerful thing when you kind of cultivate your own orientation towards like this music and this culture or these cultures you know it's not really a monoculture but when you don't when you're not in a place like with all the infrastructure with all the kind of like um cultural action like already there you know so i mean i came around to djing i think it was like a longer process because i came back from berlin and um i started writing about music a lot i started writing about house music a lot and kind of trying to 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 analyze it in terms of like text i don't think what kind of writing poetry okay but kind of like uh, more like lyric essay you know something yeah. in between like an essay and a poem so you'd analyze house music in form of poetry yeah because i i found it really interesting that like generally it's it's not um well i don't want to make a blanket statement but like most often i think like the the vocals and the text are kind of like part of this whole like um sonic array that you're receiving or you're playing out or whatever and so when you isolate just the text especially when it's like not like a a vocal house track but actually like a track you know that has just like samples so like at the time i was really into andres from detroit and like i you know he has like a lot of these a lot of these tracks where there will be a kind of like you know four second vocal sample that's like looping and then it will switch maybe over to a different kind of sample and they have like very much a sense of like a very much like voiced um sentiment but they're all like chopped out of other material Mm -hmm. um and i found that really interesting and so i started writing a lot about um house and um writing a lot also about larry hurd and um that continued i mean i was always ahead you know like i was always searching and like started really digging much more for music but i never really had much interest or like inclination as to like actually being a dj and after i came back here like that practice of writing about music and kind of engaging with music in that way like textually continued um i think also like i remember speaking to uh, lorato like lacuti quite a few years ago at at like buttons or something maybe she was playing at buttons and um we were saying that it's somehow it's important to document these experiences and historicize these experiences that are unfolding in the clubs like not just through a kind of prose like historical kind of mode of writing but also through poetry because mm-hmm. like what is happening inside of the club what is happening like on a dance floor it's not necessarily in the form of logical mm. structured grammatical yeah. like yeah. experience or existence you know it's like and poetry has like a certain capacity to at least reach for an experience that is beyond what is capable of yeah. or to communicate that experience you know yeah. so i found that really powerful and like actually quite important to keep up as a practice and of course like that also came along with then also just educating myself on the history so mm-hmm. i was reading a lot of these kind of books about dance music culture like last night a dj say my life by bill brewster and energy flash by simon reynolds and like 
Right now, I'm actually reading Assembling a Black Counterculture by DeForest Brown Jr., um, who also makes music or does kind of like sonic work under clinical poetics, I believe. But that is like a really, really incredible, incredibly like thoroughly researched book that I really recommend everyone to read, especially if you're in Berlin, because it also goes into a lot like the kind of relations between Detroit and Berlin in the early years of techno, early years of Tresor. And it's really, really a great book. But I think the more and more I read and the more and more kind of I entrenched myself just in the music, just from listening to it and going out in it, the more I could realize that it was actually, it was a lineage in which I would place myself, like a cultural lineage in a way. And I think it's also like, it's always, it's, it's an interesting thing to navigate I think because it's like not necessarily a sense of patrimony like I don't think I I don't think I can lay claim to it I think like house music and like so much like dance music that we listen to here or at least the dance music that I would say like at least I'm into which is like kind of circulating around the black Atlantic and like the UK and New York Chicago Detroit like I think it's important to like always maintain that this is like music that's coming out of so essentially like black culture Mm. Um, but it also is composed of many different historical lineages of queer culture and trans culture and I think the more I came into that knowledge uh, the more I felt like it was something I also wanted to do and I mean I also think it's a it's a kind of it's another means also like you were saying it's another kind of tool not just for expression but a means of tapping into history mm-hmm. and to to 100%. bring history yeah, into yeah. the present and to to become conversant with history yeah. and you can also think of it i think of like coming into contact with the dead or like yeah. the spirits yeah. you know yeah. i think well i'm keeping it alive keeping the culture alive keeping absolutely the culture and then it's like like you said like there's you know, there's a saying that goes, um, anybody could write that it's raining outside, but a good writer will make you feel mm-hmm. the experience of standing outside in the rain. And I feel like that's basically what you're doing with the poetry, right? Like you can you can read all the history books about house music. You can read all the history books about, you know, where it comes from and the black culture and the trans culture coming up. But it's a different thing to to read a piece of art that makes you feel what it's like to be standing in a club listening to house music and understanding all the little facets and um, influences that create the entire experience from the music to the people to the crowd to the culture mm-hmm. so, yeah, for sure. to... so I think it's also in a way I was always kind of blessed to have like come into DJing not um, not as someone who moved here and then suddenly had this inclination to make it a career, mm-hmm. you know, um, because I think like it also, I mean, a, a lot of people I know who DJ as a career and, and tour like constantly, it takes something away from their connection mm-hmm. to the music. Like they, they kind of start enjoying it less, not always, but often I sense that. And it's also, it gears our relation to these sounds and the cultures that kind of are composed from these sounds and the kind of co- collectivities like relation to these sounds like gears us towards an orientation to the industry being central you know mm-hmm. if it's always like career gigs you know yeah 100%. how do i make my coins playing music so um i feel quite blessed mm-hmm. in that way yeah 
And what you said about um, like engaging with history, I think, um, yeah, I think Berlin is very special like that because of its own very um, crazy history that basically, you know, gave birth to the scene that we appreciate, you know, in club culture. But everything that... Um, everything that engages with that history, like records, you know, like you're playing records from that time, you know, when you play a record, you know, from like the actual record that this guy actually produced from 1995, you know, and you, um, I mean, I don't know how it sounds to say that you feel like you're, 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 you're touching a piece of piece of history, but it really does feel like you're, so a little bit of time travel. You're paying it forward almost, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like this guy. No, that's not out of pocket at all. I think that's totally true. <laughs> yeah, no, because, you know, like this, just the psychology of just having like an old object and you just might be like, you know, kind of like, because you hear it all the time and, and sometimes, I don't know, like DJs, uh, because it's something that I think starts to be used commercially then. So you start to play like old records and you think that this is like good for now because it's just because it's old, but that's not necessarily <laughs> true mm-hmm. you know what i mean for sure but in a general sense i think um the whole culture the whole vinyl culture of of really um playing those songs and the actual records actually came from those times that, and it's kind of keeping the the yeah keeping that history alive because it's a very important history i mean i love the story of house and techno you know it's it's one of my it's it's my favorite fairy tale you know mm-hmm. what i mean um and I think it's such a beautiful story of of how, you know, how kind of cultures, I mean, I think it shows a lot about our society in terms of how um, black music that came from the heterosexual um, uh, denomination of society is what took off and then basically became the front runner of what we think is cool and another part of that that black culture that was not part of that narrative was then put aside as yeah definitely not as cool but then people another group of people across the atlantic were like yo this is actually this is (laughs) actually nuts Mm -hmm. right and sort of supported that group of people who already just had like the tenacity to keep going and keep pushing it with their people who supported it where they were and then yeah it was just so underground and then the uk picked up and everybody in the uk underground and knocked was like yo this is fucking crazy Mm -hmm. and then they started doing their thing and then i feel like it's just it's just an amazing story of how um different groups of people and different cultures come together and sort of create something. And it is important to remember where it came from. And it is important to remember like how it started. Um, And I think that it's one of the few um, music, maybe that's, maybe I can't say that, but at least it feels to me as you know, in this space of electronic music and vinyl culture and club culture and these clubs that have been standing since 1991, it feels like this scene really makes an effort um, to 
keep it relevant, but not as like a, I don't know, not like old records that your grandparents used to play, kind of keep it alive, you know, like keep it alive is like we're dancing to this now, mm-hmm. you know, and your grandparents were also dancing to this mm-hmm. now. And we both think that this is, it's timeless. This is timeless, hot. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's timeless. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I trust like what is going on more on smaller scales um, or even kind of like in the underground here in Berlin. I trust their intentions to do that to 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 not only preserve but actually shape and like you know mutually collectively decide on the direction in which this culture is moving you know because it's not just about preservation like we are still participating in it and also like driving it collectively and so I mean I also really love spinning records and I started really collecting records of course like it's completely in line like you were saying because it's a certain, it's a practice, it's another tool. But as a practice, it also connects historically to a certain era, a certain really formative era of this music and this culture kind of coming together. And I think because it's it's so embodied, like this way of engaging with music in that way, I think that sense of connecting to the past is even more tangible. But, and I think also records just as a technology, they they also kind of connect us to the culture of the underground in many ways, like in like a dice panel, this dice festival that happened a few years ago, there was a panel that, that Ari, the neighborhood character organized about intergenerationality and dance music and the, the New York, like deep house DJ Geneva Mayanja was there. She was talking about body and soul and how that was really a space of education. And that, you know, this was really the time also where people would have records and, scratch you know or like tape over or kind of like mark over like the track titles and the label so that you couldn't actually see what it was and like it was white label culture exactly or like these kind of like acetates that would break down after a certain number of plays or something it's like something about the ephemerality and like the kind of fact that all this media could not be fed into an algorithm um it was ephemeral and it was like very much kind of like word of mouth and handshakes and like of course like i'm not saying that we should go we have to go back to that because that's not really realistic as to like how the the industry is operating or how the world is operating but i think the where i get a sense of that magic is normally in the smaller scale things that are happening i generally feel like the larger institutional clubs like are just running like businesses and they i don't really have much faith in what they're doing yeah i feel like i i tend to agree but i feel like the the big clubs the way i think about it because of course i'm i'm very happy to be like yeah the big clubs don't do it there's a lot of talent out there that they don't tap into they just kind of stick to who's gonna sell who's gonna make the line the longest um and they don't actually concentrate on who should be playing there they don't have the music as the focus um but and you can kind of tell sometimes in the clubs like I'll be in a club listening to GG play and I'm like I could count five DJs that I think would do better for this crowd that but their following is only 10% of what this person's following is so that mm-hmm. and that feels like then that's the main difference why this person gets booked and why the five incredibly talented DJs then don't yeah. get booked I mean yeah but I I think that if I, I tried to put myself in their shoes, you know what I mean? And I tried to kind of give 
little graces to, you know because the 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 bookers yeah they do they they do shit sometimes and they do just book people they know and they don't actually do their research and they just and they are power like they are uh, yeah power hungry in a way and they do treat a lot of DJs like shit you know not even the big clubs a lot of smaller clubs too you know um because they really do hold the power to you know keep your career going in the palm of their hand you know what i mean um but sometimes i do see the the tug of war that they have in trying to shape the culture in a way you know and so I, yeah I, I could also criticize them a lot and be like they don't do this and they don't do that but they do do a lot and i think that they do um at least in berlin as compared to other places um it even though yeah bookers might be booking their friends and that kind of sucks at least they are still adhering to this sort of yeah it's very much word of mouth and handshakes kind of culture you know and i can appreciate that um and i can also appreciate how they try to yeah shape the culture moving forward because because you know they they can't just be stuck in you know their new trends coming up all the time and I do see them block like certain trends like yeah this is just not in line with what we stand for or this is just not in line with it and I I see that and I appreciate it and I think that running a big organization like that where you're con- all eyes are on you and you're constantly under scrutiny and you're constantly being criticized for your decisions mm-hmm. it is difficult you know to run I mean yeah so without a doubt yeah i mean i also don't want to sit here on my little like podcast throne and be like fuck the big club you know like no i do it all the time too you know what i mean they're, i can't even be like they're they're, they're run, you know yeah i'm not saying that it's an easy job or an easy thing even that i would think of what must be done but my concern is that a lot of these larger kind of institutional clubs are booking and organizing their spaces in terms of streamlining predictability kind of making the whole thing a consumer experience mm-hmm. and i think what jenny from mayanja was talking about and i think what you hear a lot about in terms of these more old school and more underground kind of like uh, sites of dance music culture is that it was not about consumption yeah. i mean on so many levels like the og the og clubs like you know, the warehouse in Chicago, whatever, like they didn't serve alcohol there, body and soul in New York. They didn't serve alcohol there. They they couldn't get the license. Exactly. So, I mean, on that level, but then also in terms of how people were coming together and engaging with each other and engaging with the music, it was not about consumption necessarily. And I think I understand that, yeah, a big club has got to run as a business, but at the same time, it's kind of like, well, is it then just the destiny of this culture that we love to become um, like a monetary device? Mm-hmm. Or like, I mean, and that's also, I think, what I mean when I say like, we have agency in how we're driving this culture. Like, of course, like a few lone DJs like don't have a, as much like swinging power as like a huge club does. But what I what I sometimes think when I see that like after the pandemic has like kind of passed and again like the rate of um bookings and parties and festivals and everything is just like kind of like rapidly accelerated into this kind of like completely kind of um 
like demonic like pace like this engine it's kind of like well is that really what it's all about and is that really actually what we want it to be all about um how much how much do we want to shape this and drive this thing that um you know is not only something that we love but i think something that has allowed many of us to survive Mm. yeah yeah i know what you mean i mean it's I think all in all, it's difficult because because of Berlin's history, because of these spaces and how these spaces came up, um, it kind of allowed them to sit in that um, for some time undisturbed because Berlin's economy has generally been slow, you know. And now, now that the the government is trying to make Berlin into more of a polished city because you know it's kind of the it's kind of the most ghetto European capital you know <laughs> they're trying to like change that and then what it is is it's pushing yeah they're pushing infrastructure that will affect these spaces and then it's like how are they going to because I feel like before they didn't have to try to be underground they didn't have to make an effort to preserve the culture in a certain way like they were yeah no one to mm. fucking come here so. yeah yeah they were an apartment block like mm-hmm. just with furniture gone that they turn into a club you know mm-hmm. they are just like an old warehouse and they put some you know that is what they were but now with money coming in and social media and everything making you know, you could fill up any space. And even if the space is more polished, you know what I mean? You're still going to get to fill it up. You know, there's no like polished space opening and then everyone's like, yeah, this is not brilliant. And then they're not going to go. You know what I mean? Like you saw, um, yeah, because look at uh, Globus. I don't know if you've been on the Globus. The new Globus is beautiful. And the sound is gorgeous. It's gorgeous. 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 It's an amazing space. Yeah, you know? it's really it's fantastic. Sexy. But the fact y- that you can't smoke upstairs. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah, like, I don't know where you can't mean, but, like but the thing is, to be fair, in a lot of clubs you can't, and that's the thing. That's what I'm yeah, saying. So not, it's in getting, a lot of the rave scene in particular, it's kind of like the rave scene in particular. Like that's right? the one scene where you would expect them to leave that. Exactly. That's you know, uh, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. These spaces where they didn't have to try to be like underground. It was just like, yeah, we're in an old apartment. Of course, everybody's smoking inside. We're sitting down on like fucking a hundred year old yeah. furniture. You know what I mean? Like who's, yeah. you know what I mean? Who's being picky? There are no signs. It's just stickers and graffiti everywhere. You know what I mean? But now, now that that is changing, um, you, you have to make more of an effort. You know what to I mean? To preserve. I mean, to be underground sounds to be effortless. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't think it's trying to be underground, but it's more of like trying to preserve like the the ethics of of yeah. the scene that made it what it was. You know, yeah. that yeah, made it sure. what we yeah. enjoy. You know what I mean? For sure. But my worries that the ethics are always getting kind of left um, at the expense of the aesthetics or like the mm-hmm. vibe. You yeah. Know? Like, I mean, I think of a number of things like a place like Tresor or a place like Berghain, you know, which came out of Oskut, like. These are really, these are not not old in terms of like decades, but in terms of the scene that we're talking about mm-hmm. and in terms of like the kind of um, disjunctive history that Berlin has had in the last decades, these are old institutions. Yeah. And the environment in which they came up um, was truly, I think they were underground yeah. institutions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
it was like this very strange gray zone moment of post-wall, also even more so post-war, kind of deeply disenfranchised East Germany and the kind of um, socialist attempt that was going on in, in the DDR. And then this, the wall coming down, kind of mixing back into capitalist Western culture. And I think in that kind of gray zone, it was like a really rich fertile kind of zone of like potentiality and that's like the kind of place that also we saw these clubs come up in and i mean to their credit like the the owners the, the founders of trezor like have had a long-standing mutually supportive and not even just mutual but like they have o always and historically stood in as deep supporters of like og detroit yeah, techno yeah, and um were some of the first people to bring like these yeah, producers yeah. and djs over to europe um but the thing is like i think with these clubs that are still standing and are still kind of riding on their own legacies we we are not in that middle zone mm -hmm. of like um kind of fragmented communism and yeah. capitalism coming together and we are not in this like disenfranchised empty bombed out city anymore like amazon is building its tower just around the corner from Bearcon, you know and you read like the there's a really <laughs> there's a really interesting interview actually i'd recommend or i'll like try to find it or something but there's an interview with like um the interior design firm that did like the design for Bergheim, and it was very much like we're trying to do like the underground industrial mm -hmm. thing, you know? But, like, in the same interview, they also were like, I just hate Gerlitzer Park because, like, there's so many drug dealers and it's so dangerous. And it's kind of like, well, what the fuck are you talking about, actually? Like, like it's, so, it's, it's so kind of illustrative of, like, what dynamics we're talking about right now. Yeah, and like, yeah exactly. And so I think the thing is, it's kind of like, yeah, you can't pretend that it's, like, 91 Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The world is a really different place, yeah. and like the way that capital is like moving through dance music is a, mm. at a completely different pace, and like the structures that have come up around it because of that are completely different as well. So it's like I think, um, of course, to to change the direction of the culture, I think it also means that like a lot of things would have to scale down and slow down mm -hmm. and um, localize much more. And, like, I don't really... S it's hard to imagine, you know, like, a whole host of, like, huge players like Bergheim and Deckmantle and, you know, huge kind of festivals being like, okay, we're actually just going to take it down a few notches <laughs> this year. Just I be know, booking yeah, locally. Yeah, yeah. And, like, yeah, we're yeah. all we're not going to do plane travel because, like, also a, a statistic that I read some years ago that really stuck with me is, like, the average touring DJ in the UK will generate... 500 to 900% more carbon emissions than mm. the average citizen just from flying and touring. So it's kind of on so many levels that things are not sustainable. Yeah. And I think during the pandemic, we saw this everything kind of grinding to a halt. And it was a period in which we could kind of reflect and um, speculate as to like how things could be different. Mm. And now it's just like the floodgates are open. People are just fucking gigging nonstop. And it's kind of like, what, the, what happened? You know? I mean, yeah. Of course, people also have to make coins. Like, I understand that. And like, 
you know, the owners of the clubs have to make coins to pay their like huge rents, I'm sure. So it's, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a simple thing, but yeah, yeah, no, 100%. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's not 91 anymore. It's like we're not in the same, yeah, not in the same place in history, you know what I mean? So it, it's, um, and it's also, it's not what we mean by pre- preserving the culture, like sending interior designers that don't actually give a shit <laughs> yeah. to make it look like we're in the 90s. So that's like, that's a whole different, you know, yeah. we're not preserving the culture by doing that. But I do think that we could preserve the culture a little bit better, but like giving a little bit more support to the smaller clubs that like let the big guys do their thing. We get it. You have Absolutely. to do your thing. You know, it's, it's also tourism in a sense or whatever, but then why, you know, you don't need to go and build a highway and knock down all these small clubs that actually have local DJs playing regularly and local collectives. Mm-hmm. Well, my in. question is, right, that even if they didn't, right, even if they were to Billy Highway and they were to, because this A100 extension is going to fuck up like six or seven of them, right? Because mm-hmm. um, they're not going to be knocking them down to, to Billy Highway, but they're going to be putting this club basically on this highway, which is going to change the entire area around, you know? Um, the question is, yeah, so what, what are you going to do to preserve the culture when that happens? Because you can't say if, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think the German government is going to be like, well, actually, clubbing isn't at the top of our list, you know, in terms of, like, what we think is important in Berlin. You know what I mean? Well, it's like which clubs? They will yeah. preserve certain clubs. Well, they certain did. clubs bring in a lot 100%. of money. 100%. Yeah. They definitely did, right? Um, during the pandemic, they definitely did. But, but the club it culture be. in itself as like, you know, the sentimental value of it is not something that's yeah, exactly. the and top of their like priority a, list. If you have to then make an effort to throw any event or to do something like how is that gonna because you're looking at the new collectives coming up and you're right there's so much money coming through now you know what i mean and it's like what do they do and then you see how the music is changing to go towards well you see the music that's popular you know in terms of like what kind of um techno is 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 being pushed now um it's effectively hyper pop in a lot of ways um this obsession with 2000s nostalgia is it's cool but then it's becoming now a whole trend in itself that's kind of polluting the original nostalgia for Mm -hmm. the you know because then it yeah and 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 it's it feels a bit yeah it's like how do you how do you dial it back and who's gonna dial it back because if you're in if you're young or and and in um, Berlin, I've been pushing the scene, and then you get a chance to throw these parties, and you're booking these new hyper pop DJs, and then it's being filled with you know young people who are dressing kinky because you know they've never done that before, but they just know that's it's the thing to do in edgy. Berlin. You know what I mean? So they're gonna put on this leather bikini effectively just and come tacky, out, tacky, you know? cheap little harness, and it's just like. <laughs> It's just, this is not even like something you do. You're just wearing a, a Berlin bikini effectively, you know what I mean? And then you're coming out and dancing. And then I heard a horrible story about like, like actual, like, yeah, these young, cool <laughs> kids, you know, at these young, cool raves, like basically bullying um, people from, um, yeah, that might not look like them, you know, these skinny white girls that are making fun of, I don't know, other people that are not skinny white girls, you know what I mean? And making fun of how they're, how they're dancing or how they're behaving, which is totally not the scene, but they don't even have like the, 
the deeper understanding of what this scene is and what like they, they came from a completely different direction. They yeah. came from well, they come from pop and they come from the cool. mainstream clubs. You know, they, they, they no, I don't even think they come from pop. I think they come from like Berlin and like they no, but I mean they come from like so like when I when I moved to Berlin when I was sixteen and stuff, we used to go to this club called Savoy, which was like you know the, the New York bottle service type clubs, the short skirts, the high heels, the pop music club, and I feel like because. Um, techno has been taking this kind of turn into bringing in more pop music and it, at least the samples and stuff. It's now appealing to a target group that's kind of been interested in doing something more edgy but doesn't really understand the culture of techno and the culture of house. But they see it as, okay, this is something edgy and we can kind of play dress up and go along with it without actually coming with the values and the morals of what the scene has. So I forgot the point that I was trying to get to. No, you're saying where they, they come from a different place. Yeah. You know, and I think yeah. that the, what I think is scarier is they might not, is that at least my friends or the people that I know that or I've worked with or I see them come, to, they're not even coming from like these mainstream places and want to check it out. What's worse is they think that this is the scene because mm-hmm. they would proudly say they don't go to mainstream clubs and mm-hmm. they would proudly say that they are, techno heads you know Mm -hmm. what i mean but they are coming from a completely different perspective on what this is and what this music represents and Mm -hmm. they think that they are ravers at heart Mm -hmm. but raving to them is yeah skinny white girls dressed in hot and it's like ibiza like and and basically that mainstream side of it and it's just so far from the whole core of this music and the core of this culture, you know, and the, they, it's not even in a way, it's not even their fault because it's not to say they're coming from, yeah, they're, they're not to say they're, they're trying to keep up with the trend, but in their mind, this is like underground and this, this is, is rave raving. Culture. So then when they are in the clubs and they're like, I'm looking good. I'm, I just took my molly and I'm feeling good and I'm like dancing with my friends and I look good and everybody's like, yeah, and all the dudes are fucking... I like this oppression. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so fucking... And all the dudes are bareback and they all think that this is, you know, that, that, that this is what you do when you go to a rave now. So they're all bareback and they're, they're all wearing their, their fucking chains that are cool now. You know what I mean? And they're all in this. And then when they see someone that looks to them like not cool or being weird mm. or strange or whatever they just revert back to the same culture that we see in mainstream clubbing in like these hip-hop clubs where it's like who's this person or why are they so not fucking cool yeah you know and let's make fun of them and it's they just they haven't they don't even they haven't <laughs> you know taken I mean? enough psychedelics they haven't even seen that they are in a space that was made for the culture to accept those that have been yeah. marginalized and unorthodoxized and that you have to come into this with a certain mentality. And the question is, is that when that is so cool and so popular and there's so much money in that and, you know, all these kids are the 21-year-old, like, Germans that are moving to Berlin, you know what I mean? And so that there, there are these people that exist, you know what I mean? Because, you know, how do you maintain the culture that we experienced or the culture that we fell in love with in, in what would have been the 90s into 2000s of, 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 of Berlin, you know what I mean? Because, like, these clubs are generally older, you know what I mean? You are seeing, like, 30-plus in these clubs. But this generation of 20-plus, you know, of university kids that are raving a lot, like, earlier maybe than, like, 
in yeah that that are that are touching this part of culture maybe sooner than they should um, like be able to appreciate it properly or you know what I mean they're coming from a completely different place and what can you do you know is it about like <laughs> yeah is it about building a space that looks like super underground and the aesthetic is it about that you know what I mean is it about booking the local DJs you know what I mean like yeah. like what is it about how do you make the effort because say the A100 is extended and it it kills the culture in all those seven spots of clubs, right? Like, and so you don't have that anymore. Like, what do you do? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think for one, we talk mm-hmm. and we um, connect. I mean, because I think also the only way that a few lone DJs, as I said before, can begin to have some some power in this whole structure is actually by collectivizing. Um, and I think, again, that's why a place like Refuge is like a really um, it's powerful in its own way, because like it's bringing people together on like a pretty, um, I think, like a, just a, a pretty deep and um, like elemental appreciation for music, which is, again, something I trust a lot. Um, and then I think, you know, it also has to do with how we choose to act. Um, I think like. I my interest is not in barring anyone from coming into a club but like we have to realize that like a place like a big institutional club is actually meant for accommodating these mean white girls and tacky harnesses you know like it's not it's mm-hmm. that that that's not the anomaly and I think again when when a club turns into an entity that runs like a large scale business which has to kind of prioritize like streamlining um and like predictability as a consumer experience like we lose like not only the practice that's like run through historically like djing for a long time which is that of like unpredictability and making people kind of alienated from what they expected um and also in that sense like allowing people to hear music in a different way kind of what we were talking about earlier um but I think it also um, pivots away from the longstanding um, purpose of this music also as a tool of political resistance. Um, you can't really <laughs> streamline that into like a, the form of a business. And um, so, I mean, I don't know exactly what we would do. Um, of course, there are like funding bodies out there, both like governmentally sponsored and otherwise, but even there, like, I have a bit, I find them often a bit sus. Like, um, I don't know really enough about this kind of organization, I think, to speak on it, like, extensively. And I think, actually, they've done some really great things, like the the Tag der Club Kultur. Um, they've directed money to some, like, really great initiatives. But one thing I noticed in the last year of the funding round was that, like, one of the people who are on the board awarded their own party collective with a Tag der Club Kultur award which came with like a large you know like 10,000 euro like funding package and like that kind of like nepotism is something that um, is part of corporate culture and so to see that just transpose so easily not only into 
you know, the workings of the industry, but something that's calling itself the day of club culture is like, that's not my culture. Mm. Like, uh, <laughs> that's not mine, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a hard question to answer. What should we do? <laughs> but I think we, what we have to do it to at least start is like having these conversations. And I mean, again, that's why I think that's why I still write about dance music. Um, because I think discourse and critical discourse is also what allows us to actually point things out um, and to say like, hey, actually, that's kind of bullshit what's going on. Um, and I'm not talking about like publishing huge series of posts on Instagram, like I'm talking about a bit more considered um, channels for like conversation. Um, which is why I'm really grateful that you two are doing this because I think it's it's important that we have these these um, these venues to talk. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it's so difficult to ask. You, I mean, yeah, because just thinking about it is like, what do you do? Like, mm -hmm. how can you? Yeah, you, you know like what I mean. Hands are tied. And I feel like, and and the big the big uh, the big institutions have to deal with so much in terms of. Um, all the decisions that they they have to keep up with things now, you know what I mean? And then everybody's trying to be um have more inclusive lineups, you know what I mean? And then yeah, but then you just see a lot of tokenism. You don't see actual yeah, research, you know. Yeah. I feel like a hundred percent if I had to say um one thing that I think that I definitely want to see more of, I just want to see like um I don't know how serious the I don't know how rigorous the filtration process is when hiring like a booker or like, you know what I mean? But I think um, doing research into who you're booking and why you're booking them and really taking the time to curate a lineup that represents what you represent as a collective or as a club or whatever, I think is quite important. And I just see it's so disheartening to see the process of how certain lineups are being booked, you know what I mean? And it's just, yeah, I think that this is something that... And then I feel it's, it's a cycle, because then I think there are DJs that watch this happen over and over and over. They watch lineups, uh, you know get put up in big clubs and they're like, this is just not a good fit. This is so dumb. You're, you guys just kind of did whatever you wanted. You know, the booker kind of just did whatever they wanted. They just booked their friends. And then when I, it's my turn to throw a party, yeah, fuck it. I'm just going to book my friends. I'm not going to really do any research. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, yeah. And then it's like, what are you actually doing? You know what I mean? Because then you fall into it and then you build, you start off building your brand just like from that alone you know what i mean and it doesn't matter what you're trying to do how you're trying to diversify line up and what boxes you're trying to check you can do that you know in a in a way that stays true to what this scene came from and from what you know for what it represents i mean like I, I mean i get it you could also have a collective and you don't give a fuck about anything right you could always just have a, a group and you're just trying to throw parties and make money and do drugs and sure i mean i think know. it's there's no problem with booking your friends it's more just like 
where are you coming from and what are your intentions? Yeah. You know? I mean, I think yeah. another thing to, to go back to the question that you asked me previously, like one thing that's really important to do is to like not get bitter. Yeah. I think if you're, if you're conscious of these things happening and you have a view onto the kind of terrains and structures that make up like the dance music industry and you see the bullshit like playing out in real time, like constantly, it's so easy to just get deeply bitter about yeah. what what is happening and your own um, power or lack thereof in changing the course of what's happening. And I, I, I see peers of mine who are massively talented kind of visionary artists get really deeply, deeply bitter. And um, I think that kind of, that poisons us like from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately it, it's like throwing in the towel in a certain way. So I think another thing that we can do is like, as you said, like research who you're booking, educate yourself about like what you're doing and how you're doing it. And that doesn't mean that you can't book your friends, but it's more just like to act with a sense of reflexivity yeah. and um, an awareness of where you're coming from. And, and not just that, of course, but like the thing I always feel like stressing is like how you are participating in the ongoing development of this whole thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Oscar made a good point when we were in, in dinner and um, when we were having dinner the other night. A friend of ours, he's like, I don't even know Oscar. I know Oscar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we were just having a discussion on, on London versus Berlin. It wasn't too wasn't too deep. We were just being quick about it. And, um, I, you know, I brought up the fact that, you know, Berlin is because of its history. It's just in a different place. You know what I mean? Um, and so just gave more, um, yeah, just had certain priorities that London just didn't have. You know what I mean, and and certain uh, yeah aspects of its society that London just did not have, which then lent to a certain approach to music and creating music and art in general. You know what I mean, and we were talking also about these big institutions, you know, and how it's going to change. And and Oscar said, he said, you, you know, but it would it would be nice to engage with these big institutions. You know, it would be cool, but it's also cool to just do your own thing and create your own space. And I, I, I don't know, I mean, that makes a lot of sense and seems very obvious, you know what I mean? But I feel like you but also say this all the time. I say this all the time, but you know, I feel like, I think what I said before was, I think I was speaking from, from the point of view of an, of an artist mm. who wants to be playing at these who's looked up to these institutions yeah. for a long time you know you came here and you know all the big names and 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 these th this is what you strive to do and totally. of course i owe panorama bar like so a big stake in my like development as a person yeah you know, yeah 100 like, percent. yeah and, and so you, you definitely like come in with these things in mind and then of course I'm, i've always been um i've prided myself all the time in um being a disruptor of any space that I've I'm settled in, you know, and if I, 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 I'm not afraid to go against 
those things. But at the same time, um, these institutions and these big names do obviously play a part in your your aspirations and your dreams as an artist. You know what I mean? And I think at the time when I was um, speaking about this and talking about these institutions, I really was speaking about them in a way that, yeah, as in holding them really high, you know, in my mind. And the way Oscar said it at that time, you know, because, you know, when something just kind of catches you off yeah. guard, you know what I mean? When you're, when you're kind of in your... You know, and, and something else just about the way he said it, just kind of pull the rug out um, from under all those, you know, clubs mm-hmm. and spaces and names in what my head. What he was saying, too, you he was talking mean? about, like, um, yeah, you, you, you know, we all come to Berlin and when we start DJing, we kind of have these dreams about, you know, the different clubs you're going to DJ in. And, yeah, you could also create your own space in terms of create your own collective, create your own party. But what about thinking, like rethinking the space in which you create music entirely? So, you know, think more about galleries, think more about, I don't know, food spaces and things like this. And not just about DJing in a gallery, but how do we create an experience where we bring music into a whole different space and come at it from a different yeah, angle yeah. kind of he, thing. He was also saying that because there's a, there's a lot that hasn't been done, yeah. you know, and you can do the same yeah. thing, you know, that's cool too, but you could, there's also a lot that has not been done, mm-hmm. exactly. I think it's super important. I mean, yeah, I think I almost take that part for granted. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's also what we, what we must do is also take things into our own hands. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like, yeah, I can get super like doomy about it all because of course we also see that a lot of these smaller scale clubs that were perhaps venues in which like a smaller uh, collective or like party could book out. Um, a lot of them are shutting like with the kind of changing like uh, realty prices in Berlin. And um, now, of course, you mentioned this A100 extension, mm-hmm. which of course, like, yeah, surprise is going to fuck up a lot of like small clubs. And so it can be an environment where you're almost like, and again, I think this is when the bitterness or like the kind of despair can set in because mm-hmm. it can really be like this moment of like, what the fuck are we going to do? <laughs> but there is always a way, you know, like there's always a way. Um, and that I think also like is something that you have to hold on to because I think if you don't hold on to that, then again, like you're kind of letting these fuckers run the whole show and like, yeah, it's not and right. At the end of the day, I mean, the underground was se- built, the, the underground scene was built underground right? exactly you know and I mean? it like, will, it will so it's kind of like be. okay build the highway and then change that space but we'll find a way to find the new yeah, underground absolutely yeah. i mean it seemed also a few years ago like in the in the midst of the pandemic it's there was this kind of exciting like glimmer of an idea that was going around with some of my friends which was to invest in uh in a sound system mm-hmm. and kind of decentralize the venues as necessarily like the only places around which a community could circulate and like be present in the presence of sound like that but to actually just take the sound system into our own hands Mm -hmm. and i mean of course that doesn't make everything all that easier like it's it's quite a difficult thing to up uh, you know maintain uphold um there was like a a nice talk that was given by Black Obsidian Sound System, um, who are like a sound system collective that operate out of London, I'm pretty sure. Um, and they have a really wonderful way of, of using their system. I mean, they throw parties, but they also kind of 
rent out the system as like a community asset with like a kind of sliding scale. And, um, but of course they were also saying like, yeah, we have the system, but we're like, we'll wheel it out to a park and set up the generator and then be like bumping music for like mm -hmm. two hours or like an hour and the police come. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it doesn't, it doesn't guarantee anything, but like there are also ways in which I think like concrete ways that we can take things into our own hands. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you see yourself, given that Berlin is changing so much, um, you know, everybody has a different situation in terms of like, yeah, passport, etc. Um, so do you see yourself being in Berlin, even though this space is inevitably changing? Um, because you, if you have been here, you said seven years, six mm -hmm. years. Um, I think a lot of people talk about being here for yeah, like, let's call it like six plus years, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And what their experience was in Berlin. Have you been disenchanted by the Berlin experience or you, have you become, yeah, disenchanted in a way with that experience? Do you see yourself continuing to be here or like, were you, were you getting so much from the city and then now that you're seeing it changing, you don't necessarily feel like it can feed you the way it was before which is mm -hmm. a very i don't know I, th i think maybe just like a, a a selfish way of looking at it almost but like do you feel like you want to stay or change or, or do you want to do something or are you want really fucked or would you find another space where you could yeah you know i mean i got married like two years ago oh, to sure. a friend of mine so <laughs> that that was also Congrats. kind of at the end <laughs> it was a cute it was a cute wedding up in copenhagen um um, but that was kind of also with the intention of like, yeah, okay, I'm trying to post up here for a moment. I think, yeah, of course, there are certain ways that I've become disenchanted. Um, and I mean, I also like, it gets so tiring just to hear people be like, yeah, things are so much better, like in the 2010s or whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah, we know. Okay. But I mean, what, what, of course, like I do notice that things change and it's kind of been a crazy experience to live somewhere long enough to actually be like, oh yeah, things were really different mm. almost 10 years ago when I first came here. For one, like Panorama Bar was lit. Yeah. Like it was really, really so lit. So many people say this. Yeah. And so like, that's like a whole different ball game. But I mean, no, I do intend to stay here because I think the city has shown a capacity to re-enchant me in a lot of different ways. Um, I think, uh, I mean, there are numerous things at play. Like, I think I've been hustling, like, as a freelancer for all the years that I've lived here. And I think only now it's kind of starting to come to fruition, a certain kind of, like, stability in terms of, like, what kind of work is flowing my way. And so, first of all, it's like, okay like I'm going to write that for a while um but also like I think I'm not done building here and I think like I want to fuck some shit up here you know so like I don't intend to leave before that can be done even marginally <laughs> nice um yeah because I've been here now for seven years like, I'm not just gonna dip <laughs> like, yeah. like, <laughs> like some people are like how long do you see yourself in Berlin and I was like Dan I put so much shit into yeah. this city right now I'm just yeah. gonna now, but dip. a lot of people come here like I think a lot of people come here and like party and have yeah. a really good time and then you know they're like this place is whack and like yeah. they leave and it's like yeah well you didn't actually 
You didn't give it a chance. You didn't engage. And, and, with and, and, and give it love. Yeah, like, yeah, how you yeah. how you expect it's gonna give you love back? Yeah. It's like all yeah. you, you just did take was just like take a big old bag of speed yeah. and then you left. You know, so like. And then also a lot of people come here with the European passports, you know. So I feel like yeah, it's, true, a different, that's different. it's a different story. I think Europeans have like the privilege of, of just mo- being able to move out. around. And Europe is a nice like all these cultures are so close and also so different depending on where you go. Yeah. So I can't fault them for being like, yeah, I'm gonna spend three years here and then three years here yeah, and yeah. Then three years it's here. Like, and okay, then, pop off, I mean, fuck, yeah. I'd probably do it too if I, you know, were European. But I mean, it's not like that for me. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean. I- one thing that like becomes more and more apparent to me is like, and we were also talking. I mean, t- today and yesterday feel like really these first days of like high spring, but mm-hmm. like I don't know how much longer I can um, live full time in Northern Europe. <laughs> <laughs> like that shit just wears me down. But you, but you from you're from New York. I'm right? from New York, but like in the winter, it's dead cold. Like it's mm-hmm. and the winds are just like blowing. It's like, it's really dumb cold like freezing but the sun is out yeah okay and you don't have the the gray no no it's a whole different kind of psychological space it puts you in and so um and like yeah uh, in at the end of february i was on a film project um and um the crew was mostly from portugal and there was like another actor there that was from marseille and like they were just like talking, the Portuguese kids were talking about like yeah, just like this wild parsley is just like growing on like this <laughs> the road, and like this, this actor from Marseille was talking about going to a rave and just being like there was so much like wild fennel just like blooming <laughs> everywhere. I was like, wow, fuck me, like why am I living in like dreary ass Northern Europe? Like, but um, but of course, like also like my people are here, like my fam is here, and like um, there are also my decler here like I mean, I'm kind of posted here for the moment and I think like it's also a city that I've come of age in so mm-hmm. it's like I have a certain spiritual investment in it as well yeah I feel the same way as well I mean I feel like for for those very same reasons and a bunch of different other reasons but I feel like yeah I mean, personally, because of my passport, it's not like I can easily move anywhere else. Mm. You know, it's, for me, it's either like, I mean, it's not impossible, but it would just be a whole lot of effort. It would be, I could only make so many U-turns, you know what I mean? Um, but in any case, it doesn't matter because I, I, I absolutely love this city and I feel like um, I came here to make a mark and, and that's what I'm going to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I just feel like a lot of people... You know, those who have the option are just like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like this isn't going in the direction that I wanted it to go in. Yeah, I mean, um, I also feel like a lot of people don't see how fertile Berlin is. Like, I came here and I was mm-hmm. like, this place is so. I mean, it's affordable because it's the most ghetto capital in Europe, but it is a capital still. So yeah, there's yeah. like, you know, there's so much creativity, there's so much culture, there's so many, so much funding, there's so many people that are supporting up and coming projects. Where it's like, if you actually move your ass and you know, find the right people and get your message out there and talk about what you want to do and actually make a plan. It's so easy to make something possible, but I feel like a lot of people come here and just kind of, they sit on their hands, they go party in and they're kind of like, why am I not achieving anything? Yeah, you totally. know? Well, yeah. it's difficult too, because I mean, I think too, like, I mean, not only would I like to get to a place where I'm more mobile in terms of where I live, not just for like the exposure to the sun, but also because mm-hmm. like I miss my family back in yeah. the U S um, 
I also it's it's a really strange thing to live here in Europe now for like seven years and witness like all that's happened politically in the U.S. Yeah, over that yeah. time and um you know I don't I don't think it's as simple as being like oh like I'm a deserter but um it can be hard to know how to engage with like the political struggles that are going on there in a like in a meaningful way in terms of like structure mm. you know not just you know I, I i will i will always when a lot of the times that i make collections of clothes like i always try to or sometimes when i play gigs and organize like gigs i think there's always like this practice of like collecting money and sending mm -hmm. it to people like doing mutual aid projects or what have you also like to the kurdish red cross recently because of the earthquakes and I mean, I think that's just like something like a like a a base level practice that we can do in our day to day. But on a more structural level, it can be hard because also I can't vote here. And not that that also shouldn't be like the the end all be all. Like, of course, there's so much capacity for political organizing outside of just voting. But I can also understand people's like difficulty or hesitancy to try to make an impact structurally on upon this city, not just politically, but that as well, because if you're already operating across the boundary of language and like you don't really know like the cultural context in which you're approaching, mm -hmm. like it can be hard to know kind of where to start. Um, yeah. But I think like, the more that you attempt to embed yourself in the city, the fabric of a city, like the more that you come into contact with people who maybe have been here for a bit longer and who do know what to do, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so like, I appreciate like also just meeting, meeting people, meeting elders here that like, um, I feel like have more of a grounding mm -hmm. in like how to carry out kind of political work here. For sure. That's the thing, too. Like, a lot of people who come here don't actually ever end up making connections to elders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and was just thinking that. that too. is, like, a hugely important thing, yeah. I think. Because then you're just five new baby friends and, like, you don't really know the ropes at all. Whereas yeah, there's totally. so many people with all this wisdom just waiting to give it to somebody who has the energy and totally. the passion. To that intergenerational contact yeah. is also, I think, a really important yeah. thing that we have to do. Going back to That's this question true. of what do we do, it's like we need to actually... And that's another major step in preservation of... of of this culture and like the spirit of resistance that lives through this culture. Like it's not just like the tracks that we play, but it's like who we're talking to yeah. and whose like histories do we preserve and embody. Mm. Yeah. That's a good point. There's so much to think about. There's so much to think about with, with, in that context. <laughs> yeah. mm. Holy shit. You know, I feel like, yeah, because there's just so much to unpack as an artist. And I feel that, yeah, it's it's so difficult to feel like uh, because there was such a rich a rich history, you know, in in the city that really pushed, yeah, a certain scene forward, and without that, it's not the same. The tides have changed. You know what I mean? You can't just drop yourself in and you'll head in a particular direction. You can kind of go in any direction you want to these days. Mm. So it really has to be more of a conscious, mm. you know, effort. And I mean. Do you feel that like your that your writing has changed um, coming to Berlin? If you said that you came of 
you you kind of came of age mm-hmm. in in this city and you kind of became the person that you feel like is closest to the true you know your that. true self. I love that. I feel like you, you know that's such a that's such a brilliant story. Mm. Yeah. That so many people I've met here like yeah I was lost and came to Berlin and found myself. Mm. I'm yeah. definitely still lost. Yeah. But I'm yeah more hot <laughs> than I was when I came here. But do you feel do yeah. you feel that your uh, your writing has changed since? Uh do you how how has it changed? I mean yeah. Yeah, I think so for sure. I mean, for one, like I think my writing practice has like just changed a lot in as much as like I'm not writing as much. Um I think like for a long time any moment that I was writing there was kind of always like both like the act of composition going on but also like the act of like kind of critique, self-critique and kind of the the imagined like reception. Um Yeah. And I think one thing that I've come back to in the last year or so is also just like journaling, just like writing for my own sake and being like, no one's going to read this. Yeah. Doesn't It doesn't have to be composed at all. Um, at the same time, like I'm trying to get back to, to writing poetry um, because I think it's like a different kind of, tool or technology that is maybe at my disposal for um connecting to like a spiritual understanding of things that are going on um without necessarily like trying to make sense of it you know to understand without necessarily having to make sense and so in general like the pieces that i've published in the last years have been more um, have been, I think, have always had a grounding in poetry. Um, probably everything that I do will always have a grounding in poetry, DJing included. But um, they've been more essays or kind of research or analytic pieces. Like I published a piece last year in uh, Arts of the Working Class, and I published this book, this interview book with uh, uh, Lorato and Kirsten, and. I mean, yeah, so in a way, my writing practice has kind of pivoted away from poetry, but at the same time, the the kind of necessity and the urgency of like maintaining that practice, I think, has also comes more and more clear to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's hard, though, because, I mean, poetry is also powerful because it is marginal, you know, Um it doesn't have the same kind of financial pressures put on it because like no one really fucking makes money doing poetry. So in that way, it can also like remain a kind of voice that is paradoxical and radical and critical. And yeah, it's kind uh, of freeing, you know, yeah, something is, you know, a lost cause in certain aspects, you know, it kind of gives you the freedom to do whatever because then it kind of doesn't, because I feel that it's such a, a blocker to expression thinking of like what will other people think if i yeah write this play this record mm-hmm. make this song like whatever it is you, you're constantly thinking about how it would be received and i think that being able to let go of that for whatever reason you know be it with this medium is dead and i'm not going to make a bunch of money with this anyway or whatever it is um i think that's so like liberating i think that was one of my I mean, heartbreak sucks, you know, like breakups suck. Um, 
And I think I had the one of the toughest breakups uh, ever on my uh, journey to Berlin. But I think one of the the best things that came out of it is that you know you feel so like invincible when you're so destroyed. You know, you really feel like yeah, I don't know. I feel like so much shit because of like this that there's nothing that can come close to to this right now. So I might as well do whatever the fuck I want. Mm -hmm. Nothing could hurt more than yeah, this yeah, kind of yeah. thing. Nothing to you lose. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that that's a, an extremely like powerful thing, you know? And, and exactly what you said, like, yeah, thinking like what, <laughs> what are people going to think if they read this or whatever? I think that's like a big blocker, at least for me personally. Well, I, I mean, all artists, I feel like almost all successful artists have that struggle right away you kind of have to find the balance between what is it that i want to create and i want to let my art just be art versus how do i make this commercial yeah not just commercial but like how much does it exist as art if no one is engaging with yeah, it you know yeah. i mean i think also to go back to what you said it's like yeah poetry like you could say poetry is a dead medium <laughs> like but in, in, i mean, I mean that, in that's the same breath, like that i don't no, think i know you're not saying that medium. but I'm in the same breath that. you could say that yeah. you know it's 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 as dead and as necessary as a medium as like pressing records a hundred percent a hundred percent but i, I'm, I yeah. don't feel attacked i'm just saying <laughs> no no but i'm <laughs> i mean i love poetry you're fine babe don't worry about <laughs> no i love poetry i was about to buy bukowski's collection i do love it but i mean yeah you're right in the, i mean writers in general a lot of writers are like yeah i mean i'm not nobody sits on to write the book and then thinks yeah i'm gonna buy a house after i publish this book you know what i For mean sure. unless you have a publishing deal already but mm, you yeah know what but i mean rarely i mean and that's the thing too that's kind of also changed my relationship to writing and bookmaking it's like um i feel like i in, in my communities here like there's we participate in a lot of kind of like cyclical local economies of like we buy each other's records we get tattoos from each other we go to each other's parties or food pop-ups or whatever and one thing I've noticed, like, again and again, is, like, books do not factor into that. Like, the publications are not somehow, for whatever reason, they don't enter this kind of cyclical economy. And, you know, I know so many people who are, like, you know, deeply articulate, curious, studious, creative people, cultural people, um who either don't read or don't engage with books or for whatever reason, maybe they do, but like, I don't, it, it somehow is not at the same level of like, if one of my friends who has a label, if they come out with a new record, it's like, no doubt, like I'm going to buy that record, you know, like it doesn't matter. It's just like, I do it just like as a practice. So yeah. that's something that's interesting. That's interesting because, you know, I have to be, I mean, I have to be honest, I had pairs, but this is, there are a lot of, there are a lot of things to come into this, but because, you know, <laughs> like giving us a little like prelude. If here, my, yeah, because, because, I, because you know, because I'm a firm believer and we don't edit this podcast. So I just had to make sure that if I'm going to say <laughs> shit, disclaimer. if I'm going to say yeah. shit, I have to say it in a certain order. So nobody could take it out of context. You know what I mean? And use this shit because I'm not editing this afterwards, but <laughs> a guy my it age, right? Like. <laughs> <laughs> you know? A guy, a guy my age, right? I'm 31 now, um, and a couple of years ago, so let's call it 27, right? And this guy wrote a book about 
some ridiculous, like a, a success book, like how to be successful in mm-hmm. X, Y, Z. And it was something very vague, like how to, like how to live your life to the, like, I don't know, some, but it yeah, wasn't like, it wasn't yeah. like spiritual. It was a very like, I mean, it was a very like, I don't know, like, yeah, like he's on the front cover in a suit with a thumbs up kind of like, Gosh, you know, okay. and it's like how to be successful. Let's call it something like that. Right. And I think everybody, <laughs> I think everybody at the time, like that's our we age. Would videotape this podcast. Yeah, like, the um, his. The no, thumb. because every, because that's what I imagine, you know, I yeah, imagine yeah, yeah. like the, you know <laughs> because and i'm sure the cover probably wasn't even that maybe i'll find the cover yeah. i'll find the cover but we, know the, we know the genre yeah and he publishes this and everybody because he's our age he went to, to went to school with us right he's in the same year group and everybody our age is like down with 27 i'm not reading no book from a 27 year old about how to be successful <laughs> what the fuck do you because i know what school you went to dog i got better <laughs> grades than you shut the fuck up you know what i mean like like you know so the thing is like I, and I did feel in that sense, yeah, that kind of sucks. You know, I mean, of course, he did get a lot of support from people, right? Who are like, oh, shit. It, but, but I mean, like, and I mean, I liked his post. I, I didn't necessarily share his shit. You know what I mean? But I engaged with it. I did the little that I could do, right? I didn't do nothing. But at the same time, I definitely said that aloud, and my friend agreed that I'm not reading this fucking book. You know what I mean? Um <laughs> But, I mean, to be very fair, if it was a book of poetry, I would 100%, 100% have bought it. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's a different but thing. I think that people do... I mean, it's interesting that you said that. Because the only person that I know that ever wrote a book, I 100% you said, were like, no, I'm not fucking 100%, no. You know, 100%. <laughs> I mean, this is also... But this is, again, where like the bitterness thing comes into it. It's like, sometimes I really feel like, well, why the fuck am I just sitting over here like analyzing all the shit that's going on? Because really, I would rather just be like rinsing some fucking deck somewhere, you know, like, like, so. And so it's like, again, I think it's like about maintaining a certain kind of balance, like, because I think that kind of critical analytic orientation as to the dance music culture and industry, whatever, like I, I will not give that up. That won't go anywhere, I don't think. But there are times sometimes where I have to allow myself to be like, no, actually, you don't have to just be like a um, a critical voice. Like, you can also just go play some music. And I mean, now, like, what I do to, like, soothe myself, like, if, if I'm having trouble or whatever, maybe at a different time in my life, like, the first thing that I would do is, would be to start writing poetry about it. Um, but now the first thing I do is like, I go play music, like, and that's kind of what suits me. Um, the thing is what I find necessary is to, at a certain point also go maybe write something about it because like that is a different way of understanding things. Um, it's a, yeah, it's like finding the ways in which like I can, I can be generous to myself, but also, um, be diligent and um, maintain like an, an ethical, critical hustle that can serve me and the people around me. Um, but again, yeah, like we said before, it's like poetry has that kind of freedom of not ever really being a means to like making tons of money. So it also has, or even just any money at all. So like it has a certain kind of autonomy and a certain kind of like radical yeah and i like it i like that it always like um poetry always floats above um 
everything else in, in, in terms of like, um, yeah, there's no prime minister that that, that wrote a, a, a poem into the constitu- constitution. You know what I mean? Like the, this is a medium that is not um, considered like a, a, because it's not taken literally, because it's not a document or a contract or whatever. You know what I mean? Whereas like there are novels that are like accredited to like a, a certain shifts in society. And, so, and of course they're very powerful poems, but poetry has this... Um, way of sort of yeah floating above everything and offering and just yeah and injecting some mental energy into your life even when you thought you didn't need it or want it you know what I mean and it doesn't matter the context it always kind of it makes you think and forces you to think and the fact that it's not necessarily something that's uh I don't know how to phrase it but like yeah like an official kind of it's not official format maybe i don't know some pragmatic yeah Yeah. it's not it's just not it's just it's It's kind of it's it's kind of whatever it is you know what i mean but like for example like paintings sell like splashes on canvas would sell for millions of dollars right the american the americans started splashing on canvas and selling it (laughs) right um because they were trying to keep up with the rest of the world right we get it we get it okay it's hard it's hard it's hard it's hard right um but they'll do that but but there's no like poem that's being because of the medium as well you know what i mean there's not like big money flying through poetry there are records that sell for millions you know mm-hmm. there are paintings that sell for millions you know there there are books that sell like a million million copies which makes the author million you know what i mean but like poems like i don't know they just kind of they float above all of that and that gives them sort of this like the autonomy to just to just be and exist in its in its own way. It keeps them. I feel like it just keeps them pure. Yeah, you know, they, they yeah, really yeah. come from that pure space and they stay in that. Space yeah, nobody's writing a banger and thinking, "Yeah, this is gonna be it, bro. This poem is the shit." You know, this there's no right. Shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, there is like, of course, there are like different kinds of poetry too, and like there are different times in which like political movements have. Um, have integrated poetry like so deeply you know like i think of just off the top of my head like i think of like um anna akhmatova like from russia during the the russian revolution like her poetry was also like so important as a document for a certain kind of political resistance that was going on at a time when like any kind of resistant consciousness was like really just like flattened you know so um but yeah, it has a different, it's a different, it's a different kind of media also in as much as like what it does to you as you engage with it, um, it invites a different kind of participation. Mm. And I think like that's also why sometimes like doing so, like why I notice that there's some deep generosity that I show to myself now that like when I'm like fucked up, I like go turn on the decks and like start playing records and stuff like that because that is the kind of music that well i mean just music in general is a media that envelops you entirely you know and it's a certain kind of thinking and a certain kind of consciousness can turn off and what turns on is like something that's much more kind of just deeply embodied senses of rhythm and melody and that can be a really comforting place to go um Whereas like poetry, what it invites from you is like somehow a certain kind of isolation of consciousness into just text Mm -hmm. and like 
there is, I think, undoubtedly something kind of alienating about that, even if it's really pleasant and beautiful, like it requires a certain kind of alienation from the world. Because um, there's so much negative space, as in like in terms of like that the, the, there's so much negative space within this piece that you really do have to you well, yeah you really do project your experience onto these mm. absolutely into these spaces and that re- is is something where i mean you can get that with other mediums but i think that like music for example um especially in in uh electronic mu- or club music you know the emphasis is not necessarily on the negative space it's more about like how it fills you and moves you and carries you forward absolutely yeah, it's like poetry i feel like it's a lot of negative space there's a lot of room for yourself in that you know what i mean literally reading between the lines totally yeah. but i think of course like all music also has its power not only because of like what's present but how it's like sculpting silence mm-hmm. you know all, it, all, it, it only has its power because of its relation to silence and like but it's true it's a different capacity to hold you and i mean i think like i think as like someone who's trans and like someone who's like been quite alienated from my body for so long and like often kind of engaged in a certain kind of war with my own body like I think going to clubs when I first started going to clubs also when I first started going to clubs here like it was such a powerful experience just to feel enveloped and held by a certain kind of or you know housed by a certain kind of music that almost provided like another kind of um body or like um carriage that my consciousness could like sit in or like be housed in you know so it has a different capacity to hold i mean i think uh i don't know maybe that's also why so many trans girls are just preternaturally like really fucking sickening djs like because <laughs> i think it's probably something about like just like an in, like an ingrained like embodied knowledge about like transition and mixture and like <laughs> alchemy but also i think it's probably because a lot of us have gone through periods of our lives where we've been lonely and like we develop connections to to music as like a, a force that will hold us mm. no matter what and like i will never give that up um i think that there's a certain kind of degree of like companionship also in in, a, in my relationship to music that is like so like bone deep you know mm-hmm. yeah i love that mm. i love that do you think that um you would have been able to make the transition that you made in new york to be yeah do you think if you had stayed in new york and continued to transition to the person that you consider to be your truest self do you think it would have been the same person as the berlin fuck you? no I don't, because I also, I don't think I would be exposed to the music in the same way. I mean, I think, first of all, like, I don't think I would even be transitioning if it wasn't for this music. Because, like, I think that not only did it give me, like, a space to be in accord and in harmony with my own body in a way which maybe, like, was completely novel and alien to me, you know, that, like, you even could, like, sit in your own skin that way but i think um it's also a particular kind of music that i was hearing here and i think i mean things in new york are also changing the, the, the whole terrain of clubbing has changed so much in the past like 10 years that um who knows but i think at the time like 
It was not so much. I think, of course, there are always these lineages of like Deep House and Soul House that are running through New York that are kind of unbroken. But I don't know if I would have known really where to access that, you know, growing up there. Um, and so I think the fact that I could come into contact with this music here in in, in Germany, of all places. I mean, I, I also really am, am indebted to, to Lorato and Kirsten for doing their night at Panorama Bar, which is like three times a year. And they were bringing over like the OGs. Like, you know, I saw Shea Damier play there. I saw Louis Vega. Um, just like really Boo Williams, really important people um, to me and to the culture. And I think it was that also developing and like kind of growing connection to house and house culture that it kind of fed back around into like a historical understanding of where it comes from and a certain kind of historical understanding or at least like a, a capacity to place myself in these histories um, and, you know, recognize that as like, oh yeah, like... Um, they're like transsexuals like all over the place in this history, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, I just may be one of them. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think it would have been the same thing. Yeah, it kind of, <laughs> I don't know if I'm being dumb, but it's kind of like a parallel to to house music in the way that the music was in New York um, and what the scene was in New York and how the scene was in Chicago and Detroit, whereas this music was so important for so many people, but was not um, taken seriously by people who make decisions as to how culture as a whole, you know, functions. Mm -hmm. And that music, if you have like had a tough time just thriving, but found a home in another society, which had its own things going on, but somehow just created like this space for this genre and however they clicked from in two different worlds almost you know like just coming from yeah and how that music was able to find a home in a completely different place where it's just you would never make that connection yeah absolutely on paper but it encapsulates you know? a spirit like so yeah. it's with such high fidelity you know i mean i think like the first time like it was a sliding like you know gradient of like starting to like transition i mean i think like the, in, th in terms of transition like that was like a multi-year process even before i started taking hormones but like really the moment that i like had even the courage to articulate to myself like oh yeah i'm trans like obviously duh <laughs> it was like listening to a track that stella sent me actually or something that she played at a certain point that I heard, which is like a disco track called Danger by Greg Diamond. And I mean, it's like, it's just like a real, it's, it's like a real kind of fun, um, kind of manic, like disco song. It's not, it, it, I'm not saying it's like a, it's not at all a bad track. I actually quite love it, but it's not like some kind of Philadelphia, huge sweeping, like orchestral disco. Like it's like a pretty like, it's kind of dumb in like the best way, you know, but something about that, like total, totally kind of like celebratory, really kind of really fucking gay kind of like femme energy that like 
spiritually is like encapsulated in a track like that I mean that's what pulled it out of me I think you know I was just like listening to it like dancing around as I do and like at a certain point <laughs> you just, yeah, yeah, I mean, of course. <laughs> and then at a certain point it's like well duh like get to it you know so um, I that's also why I think like this shit is personal like like this this music is um it's not like I, I feel like such a stake in 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 participating in it because like I owe my life to it, you know. Mm. Um, it's not just like check out my soundcloud, like check out my fucking gigs, whatever, you know. It's like no, no, like this shit is a... an impersonation of me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it. <attacked. laughs> no, it's a it's a it's a life saving device. I think for so many people. And I mean, in many ways, like I can imagine it could, it could, it could have saved your lives in different ways as well, mm. you know, so. Yeah, but it is an extra special kind of connection. I would imagine that you have because it's such a, I mean, it's, it's something that's so deep rooted in house and it's something that just, you know, it's, it's literally your identity, as you said, that it, it helps you unfold or more gives you the space to not just accept it, but celebrate it, mm-hmm. which I can imagine is a very special relationship to the music yeah mm-hmm. and it, it it makes me think i mean i'm sure you feel like that that you're so lucky to have come to a place that that could have helped you come to this realization Absolutely. And, could, yeah. and, and could uh enable you to 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 be what you consider to be your truest self which is not, is a privilege that a lot of people don't have you know mm-hmm. and especially on the other side of the world you know absolutely like europe as a whole is generally more progressive in that direction and and it it it's scary to think that there are a lot of people across in the new world that do not have access to all the things to 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 everything that would enable them to be that or to to do what they need to do or feel um you know what they need to feel in order to to achieve what what you are uh, achieved and what you, what you are still trying to achieve and what you know and or what we're all trying to achieve which is trying to be you know our truest selves you know what i mean at the end of the day and it sucks that some people's truest selves are just not um are just easier to attain in the society they live in than others you know and it's it's scary to think that people could go their whole lives without access to that just yeah because of this you know where they were born, which mm-hmm. has nothing to do with a decision that they made, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it makes you think that, yeah, that it's quite it's quite sad, but it makes me quite happy to know that you have done it and a lot of other people have have been able to experience that, you know what I mean? But it's also very scary. America and South America and the Caribbean, you all need to get your shit together, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, I mean, that's why I don't take it for granted, too. And I think that's why I feel like I always have this kind of agitator, like, spirit in me, because it's like, I'm so grateful for the environments I've come up in and the the, the people I've come into contact with and the, the cultures that have, like, kind of been able to, um, to, like, to hold me and to provide space for me and stuff like that. But because I, because I, I recognize how formant and like formative they all are in my becoming and my survival, I'm also like, okay, like let's do it better. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. how can we do it better? Yeah. Um, but, um, 
yeah, not a day goes by that I'm also not feeling like very blessed. Um, yeah. Nice. So we are pushing two hours to close. I would like to ask you when's your next gig? When next year? What are you doing? How you? What, good what question. Are you good question, fucking babe. SoundCloud, you know? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good question, babe. I mean, like, I, uh, well, we, s- I mean, this is another way, like, in which it's been really nice to come to, to music, like, through poetry, through publishing. Like, everything is kind of, all the kind of sound recording that I deal with is, like, it's all centralized on a SoundCloud that's actually run through Tabloid. So, I mean, it's, like, one SoundCloud that has, um, you know, recordings of various poetry readings that we've done or been invited to. And some t- like vocals that me or Zoe have done for friends, like tracks or whatever, but then also like mixes. Um, but in terms of gigs, no, I got no gigs on the roster. Like, um, but you know, any projects you want to shout, anything, anything you want to get out there? Because um, don't worry, I'm in the same boat. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, like, where are your gigs? Yeah. Actually? yeah, they're gone. They're none. Yeah, listen to my SoundCloud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll listen to your SoundCloud if you listen to my SoundCloud. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's just each other's SoundCloud and pray we get book gigs. Book each this other now that you're friends. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, time to throw parties and book each other. Um, you know? Any projects? I mean, um, I mean, yeah, you don't have to sure. have projects working. Yeah. I'm just asking. Yeah. No, I got projects. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm really excited for one. Um, I'm I'm involved in in writing some text for a commission that um, my sis uh, Lyra Pramuk has received. It's like to do a kind of interpretation of like Schubert's Winterreise, which is like these like a high drama kind of art classical music pieces that I never heard before but we listened to them a few weeks ago a month ago and they're all about winter I mean they're all kind of about like this like stranded desperate lover um writing about the seasons kind of as a metaphor for um for their lost love and that's like been a really nice thing to actually write poems about the winter in Berlin because it's just such a particular thing and aside from that like um my best friend here is uh, wrote, wrote a feature film in the last year, and it's being kind of overseen by a like production film production studio, creative studio out of Copenhagen. That's like kind of setting up shop here now called Morph. And so, I mean, that is kind of starting to go into production um, over the summer casting is going on i'm gonna help out with like graphics and stuff but i think also just because it's like so embedded in the city like i think i'll find all the ways i can to to facilitate that work going down but uh, being involved in making movies is something that i have very little experience in so it's like it's quite fun yeah 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 yeah. um so yeah the the movie is called milkweed and it's, it's also very much about becoming in in berlin though not necessarily through the clubs but through through the body through hormones through all of this um it's like a lot of like kind of trippy john hassel kind of vibes in that in that movie so yeah i'm quite excited to be involved with that project nice nice well yeah send it our way send links absolutely yeah they're doing a casting actually very soon so if you if you know anyone who's shooting up ingesting rubbing any kind of 
estrogen gel on themselves, <laughs> please send them our way. Um, but yeah. We'll do. Okay. Yeah. We'll do. I have some friends. I <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks it's so much for coming. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming down. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you around. Till next time. See you soon. <laughs>